Welcome to With Maze and Mal, a podcast where two sisters come together to talk about growing up, living life, all while managing a rare chronic illness. We have lots to say, and we are finally sharing our stories. We want to acknowledge that we know everyone's experience will look different, and everyone's story is valid, so don't think your journey has to look just like ours. We are not medical professionals, so any recommendations we make on here are based on our own experiences and any changes you make to your care should be discussed with your providers. We have wanted to do this episode for a long time, and then it felt weird to do it during the peak of COVID because people shouldn't really have been traveling. Um, and we don't want to say things are normal because they definitely aren't. COVID isn't gone. Um, but we've reached a point where vaccines are more accessible and people are sort of accepting the risks that they're taking and making choices about traveling um, and doing things that are kind of returning back to quote unquote normal. Um, So whatever you do or don't do is obviously your choice. Um, And we totally understand if you don't want to listen to this episode or want to wait and listen to it at a time that makes more sense for you. um, We're just going to share some of our experiences and we both love to travel and It seems to be kind of a hot topic in the communities that we frequent. Um, And so we just wanted to share our insights in hopes that um, it's something that more people will get back to doing when they're ready um, or provide some information that might help make people feel more informed and more prepared, um, COVID or not. Um, So at this point, we both have traveled some. Um, I visited back in August, and we have plans to come out and see you this month. Um, And some things have changed. Some things are the same. Some are more chaotic. And overall, the need for planning and advocating um, have become even more important. So in this episode, we'll share some of what we've learned, some of what we've observed about our different experiences, and the differences just even between the two of us. So to get us started, it might be helpful to a little bit lay the foundation with both of our travel experiences. And I know that in a previous episode, Maisie talked about her experience studying abroad and traveling internationally. So I guess this will be more about domestic travel specifically. I don't have any experience traveling outside of the country at this point. Um, And I know Maisie, as you said, you mostly um, have traveled to visit me. Um, But do you want to talk a little bit about your general relationship with travel? I know you are sort of bring a broader perspective of planes, trains, automobiles. Uh, So maybe before we get into the weeds with our actual experiences and how we prepare, um, you can sort of just talk about what do you what do you think about travel? What has been your preferred method? What have you seen to sort of get us started. I I personally love traveling. I love seeing different parts of the country. I love traveling even within my own state, doing little staycations. Um, when I was with my last partner, we visited uh, family down south quite a bit. And so we would drive. Uh, didn't love that per se. Um, but it's definitely, you don't have to think about checking a bag. You don't have to think about carry-ons. So in that way, definitely easier. Um, I've flown quite a few different places. Um, 
mostly to see you, <laughs> but also to see friends in Carolina. And um, recently we went to San Diego, which was amazing. And so I think I like flying because I like the fast pace and I like the chaos and I like the reward of getting on the plane and being able to just chill and get excited for your trip. Um, but it definitely is challenging, especially with medical devices and TPN and fluids and stuff like that. Um, one thing I have not done a lot, um, Nick and I took a train to New York City last year, earlier this year. Oh my gosh, almost a year ago. And that was really fun because we could put our luggage up. We didn't have to worry about it. Um, but it wasn't as stressful as having to go through security, checking to, um, you know, your airline, whatever. So it was kind of like a happy medium between driving and flying. Um, so that was really cool. And I think something that I have definitely underutilized in my lifetime. Um, but what about you? You have and are still, again, traveling for work and pleasure and just to kind of, you know, you, you've had a lot more experience with travel, I think, than I have, at least around the U.S. Yeah, um, I will say with my current job, um, things have definitely gone from like zero to 100 with travel. Um, I'm 100% remote in my position, but conferences and meetings are back in person. Um, and I've been traveling a lot. And um, it's funny you said that about taking the train when Owen and I lived in Boston, you know, we used to take the train up to Maine. Um, and it was a lot easier than, as you said, flying, but also um, we would take the bus, which was quicker, but more um, unpleasant, I would say, as somebody with a disability. There were times when you know, we would have to, you know, load the wheelchair and the drivers would make comments about how inconvenient it was. And we were like, it's also inconvenient for us. Like, sorry. Um, so that was like a little bit frustrating. But when we took the train, the Downista, um, it took a little bit longer because it stopped a ton. But it was definitely, I would say, more relaxing and people were more accommodating. Um and yeah, so that's the only experience that I have taking a train. I'm not sure I would take a train for many, many hours. I also much prefer flying. I like the most direct route to my destination. I like to have as much time at my destination as possible. Um, so that is is sort of that. Um but yeah, I used to travel a ton. Um, I remember there were some months where I would wake up like being home and literally not know where I was. And I I feel like, you know, this may be something that like not a lot of people know. But honestly, a big reason that I ended up in my career and I think advanced in my career sort of the way that I did was because I loved traveling. It was really the travel and the opportunity to like go places and network and stay in hotels. And I mean, I literally could have been presenting about anything, but I loved the thrill of just traveling and getting to go to these different places. And I was really fortunate as someone who was so early on in my career um, to have the opportunity to go 
to as many conferences and meetings as I did. And I didn't realize sort of now, you know, how competitive those opportunities can be. Um, so I was really, really fortunate to have that opportunity. And for me, I often will have someone travel with me. And for a long time, it was mom who traveled with me because our work was sort of parallel, like she was attending a lot of the same meetings and conferences. And so it really worked out for her to travel as my support person. And then for a while, I had a friend that would travel um, with me as my support person. And so that's been a big part of what I have learned um, around advocating and making that sort of an accommodation when you're traveling for work is the importance of having that person go with you to be able to support with the medical piece so that you can really focus on doing your best job as an employee or a presenter or whatever you need to be at that um, that meeting or that conference for. And it's really funny because as much as I have traveled, I can probably count on one hand the trips that I've actually taken for pleasure. When Owen and I took our honeymoon, I mean, it was a honeymoon. We went a place that we've gone all the time. Um, but that was really the first time since we had been living together. And in God, at that point, eight years, I want to say, we took a trip that wasn't to a conference or to visit family. And one of my colleagues once said to me, there's a big difference between a vacation and a trip. And you're, you know, you're taking a trip um, when it's a conference um, or a meeting. And that always stuck with me because when I would travel for work, I would basically see, you know, the airport and the inside of a hotel. Um, I once flew in and out of DC literally the same day when I was in Boston to like give a presentation. And, you know, that kind of feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but that was a time when I was able to travel, you know, without my scooter, all I brought was a backpack. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, this must be, you know, how those fancy businessmen feel who can just zip through security and, you know, all that. And I want to talk about that too, um, because you don't have a mobility device, Maisie, um, but we both travel with TPN. And I know a lot of people talk about the chaos of TSA and how that should all go. Um, and we, what we have seen and what we have tried and those different things. So um, do you want to talk about your experiences with that? And then I'll share more about some of the differences. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's obviously worth noting that like, it's less challenging, not having a mobility device, just because I can maneuver crowds and, you know, kind of squeeze in between people. And um, I just kind of like generally don't draw as much attention to myself in the airport, which is, you know, always a plus. Um, just trying to like get through. Everyone's just sort of on a mission to get from point A to point B and the less baggage, like literally that you have with you, um, the easier that tends to be. But even still, there have been times where I could have traveled with just a carry-on, but the like my TPN usually is my carry-on in my backpack or like a cooler or something. So, you know, you get your carry-on and then like a small handbag essentially. And I usually have like my laptop or books or stuff to do on the plane because I'm a toddler and I need activities 
And um, so really that's my, that's my handbag. And then my TPN is just my carry on. So um, I know we have this farther down uh, kind of in our notes that we'll talk about it, but if I'm going to be going somewhere for probably more than like three days, like three to five days or whatever, um, I'll work with my delivery company to coordinate getting a lot of my stuff there. Um, but usually I have like a bag of fluid with me anyway, just because, you know, plans get muddled and stuff doesn't always pan out how it's supposed to. So I like to have something with me just in case I get stranded somewhere. Um, but if I'm just traveling for like a night or two, I'll bring my TPN with me either in like a cooler in my backpack with just an ice pack. Um, or I'll plan my infusion nights around when I'm going to be traveling. So I'll get, you know, I'm, I'm infusing for five nights a week at this point. So I'll get hooked up on either end of it and then just skip those nights. Um, but I risk, you know, feeling gross and dehydrated and travel, I feel like takes a little bit out of you in terms of like how you feel physiologically. And um, if I do bring it, I, you know, risk having it leak, having something happen to it. And then I'm still without something. So it's, there's definitely like some pros and cons to all of the ways we've managed to, to travel, but I think we've pretty much found what works for us. Um, But even going through TSA, like I know you do the same thing, but I'll just like flag the person down and be like, Hey, that scary one is mine. (laughs) Like, I don't know, but what's it like for you? I know you've dealt with like sometimes you take your scooter, but sometimes you'll um get a wheelchair at the airport, which is always a freaking adventure, depending on who you get. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, honestly, that has been the hardest part of traveling, I will say, since COVID. Um, the biggest thing that I've noticed for both mobility assistance and TSA is that it varies so greatly by airport. And usually, most and recently, I haven't been traveling with my scooter because I have not been able to like find transportation to the airport with my scooter. So it's such a multi level like planning process. And it's such a catch 22 because obviously bringing my scooter is way easier for me and it speeds up my process and independence at the airport, but then it makes it harder at my destination and getting to the airport because of the transportation piece. So it's very like complex, but when I don't bring my scooter, I rely on the wheelchair assistance people at the airport, which is a very complicated industry. Um, it's it's focused on tips, like they're expecting you to tip them, which a lot of people don't know. So it's actually sort of an added expense for having a disability, but it's also very, very unhelpful <laughs> in it's it's helpful, but it's not helpful. And currently, like so many places, you know, this is an industry that's significantly understaffed. They are significantly underpaid. And as a result, they're significantly under helpful. Um, There's also, you know, often language barriers and cultural barriers, um, which is makes it more difficult to communicate with these individuals. 
And, you know, they are the ones that will take you through security. And so not only are you trying to communicate to TSA what your needs are, but you're trying to convey to this individual that speaks minimal English and doesn't really like their job and may or may not be nice to you. Um, And with the understaffing of this, this industry, you are waiting upwards of an hour at certain airports for a wheelchair. Um, Denver airport, I will say, with the, all the traveling I've done over the last year, is literally the worst in all these areas. Um, it's really disappointing because we're seeing so much money go into improving this airport, but what they're not improving is the passenger experience. So it's been really challenging um, just navigating all of those pieces. And if you are planning to travel and require any kind of disability support or a wheelchair, please, please, please make sure that you get there with plenty of time to spare. Um, And I will say I am a a firm believer of leaving the house way, way, way before um, you need to be there. We usually leave our house at least least three hours before our flight um, because we just plan that anything that can happen will. And it's funny because I traveled recently with a colleague um, from Denver, who I've worked with and been, you know, places before, but she's never been a part of like the soup to nuts, like Mallory travel experience. And so um, when I told her what time I was going to leave, she sort of thought I was overestimating. But, you know, um, she went through everything with me. And when all was said and done with TSA collectively, we had 30 minutes left. to get to our gate by the time, you know, everything was done. And she was like, surprised, but also I I was like, this is, this is my reality. Like, um, typically, when you go through TSA, you know, they will swab, you know, your TPN, they'll look at, you know, your hands. And if you have a mobility device, they'll do, you know, the whole pat down experience. And it's, and it's always different. You know, I also, like Maisie said, try to sort of flag them down. Um, But they usually don't like put two and two together. So I'm starting to learn now, when they take the bag aside, you know, they go one by one with the other bags they've taken. So it's just a matter of getting to yours. Um, but you know, people react all kinds of different ways. One time somebody, you know, looked at my TPN and said out loud in at the TSA point, oh my, you know, this is a scary one. And, you know, you may not understand what it is or, you know, but to, to editorialize, um, and add that comment is just, it, it heightens everybody's anxiety unnecessarily. Um, but my favorite story um, that I have to share was one time when we were flying out of Portland, Maine, um, after Christmas one year. And this is an airport that I had used for over 10 years. This is my home airport. I used to know all the people, you know, at the TSA check-in. And for some reason, all of a sudden, the TSA person was very put off Um by my line that they felt, you know, like under my bra, basically. 
And usually I do a pretty good job of like hiding it so that when they do the the pat down, they can't feel it. And typically, um, you know, and that to show you is like an example of how everything is planned, even when you're getting dressed to go to the airport, thinking about, you know, what they're going to feel during a pat down. That's the level of detail that we have to think about. And Usually I'm able to say, you know, it's a medical device. This is what I have. And it's not a big deal. But for some reason today, um, they made a pretty big deal about it. And they wanted to take me into a private room, um, even after I explained everything. So I, of course, respectfully and very politely, you know, obliged and was following all the protocol. But when we got in there, they started explaining, you know, the privacy policies and all this stuff. And I, I just, you know. I I didn't know what else they wanted to know. So I just I just lifted up my shirt and and showed them. And uh because, you know, to me that's nothing. I think as as people with medical devices, we don't really have privacy and I didn't care. I wanted to be on my way. So I lifted up my shirt and I showed them and I can tell you I have never gotten out of a room um so fast and they did not know what to do and I was able to to go on my merry way um but I was also really really furious in that moment because once again um it was you know an example of people with chronic illness and disability not having bodily autonomy and not being believed or listened to that of course that's a medical device that's what I'm telling you um so it was, you know, I, I didn't care, you know, I, I that was how I re reacted in that moment. And I, I don't have any shame around it. Um, but well, I wonder how much like this, this, I know I've heard that story, you know, a bazillion times, but thinking about it from a different perspective, I wonder how much training they get on those things. Like, I know, I, I mean, I'm assuming I have no idea what the training process for a TSA agent is. But I wonder, like, my assumption is a lot of their training is about safety and security and what to look out for and red flags and all of that. But I wonder what the actual protocol is, because like, you and I have both experienced like, it's very case by case, it's very airport by airport. And even thinking, you know, about some upcoming opportunities, um, like, there have been a lot of resources, and I say that very casually, um, about interacting with TSA, but I wonder if any of them are with TSA in the learning position, like in the, in the, you, you need to sit down and, and listen to us position, not the, we're here to help you. Yeah. Conversation. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And it's really interesting you say that because recently I had an experience where the woman was in training and I was the passenger that came through. And so this, this woman who was in training was giving me a pat down and she felt my line. And her response to that was to go to her supervisor and, and express her concern that she felt it. And so the supervisor came back over and said, ma'am, um, you know, do you have something right here? Can I can I do that part again? And I said, sure. I said, yes, I have a medical device. It's a central line. Um, and so the supervisor in front of me, which I sort of appreciated, went back to the the trainee and said, when this happens, 
ask the passenger, you know, don't come back to me with your concern. Confirm with the passenger that you felt something and you're not sure what it was and ask them to explain it to you. And so I was sort of a witness to that like teaching moment of like, talk to and the also passenger. believe them when they tell you because I think that's the other yes. thing is that there's this narrative that everything in the airport is scary and threatening and out to get you and so when you are somebody simply trying to get through with something slightly out of the ordinary that puts you in a really weird position too and so I think there needs to be some right. like I mean, I know airports have really cracked down, but at a certain point, like we are still people just trying to get through our lot, you know? Well, and what I think is so frustrating too is, you know, one of my more recent experiences, I'm sitting there and every single time, every single time TSA doesn't know what to do with my TPN. And so at one point there were six TSA agents crowding around my TPN to look at it. And not a single one talked to me or said, what is this? Or how has this been handled previously? I'm there all the time. And so in that time, all these people were able to step away from their job and gawk at my TPN and not a single person involved me in like well, what that And also where are those like. people supposed to be? Like, where are those six yeah. people supposed to be? And why are they stepping away from their post to gawk at a bag of IV fluid? You know, and that's what I mean, like, yeah. in terms of training. Like, I feel like we are, once again, being told, it's it's almost like, like, we're supposed to be responsible for how to know how to handle this situation, when really it should be the responsibility of the people who are getting paid to handle this situation. And I'm sure the staff turnover at these places has been ridiculous but that's what I'm saying like it would be interesting to know like what the training protocol is if any for something like that because it's not crazy like IV fluid is not it's it's 2022 like it's not wild we're not like witches I mean well and and I think it's so interesting too because I see you know on Facebook and all these you know programs and um, how people with disabilities are working with the airport to be better for people with disabilities. And I don't know what that means. And I haven't seen any evidence of that. Um, and one example I'll give is, I don't know if people have heard of, you know, this TSA CARES program, but it was mentioned to me by several people who apparently it's this program where people with disabilities, you know, fill out this form and submit their travel needs. And I'm very jaded. I don't believe that any resource is helpful. I believe that you need to plan and prepare to find and be your own supports because of my own experiences. But I figured I will give it a try. And once again, it it literally says on the form, this varies by airport and depends on the resources and the staffing available. And you are supposed to be assigned a passenger support specialist once you get to the airport. You know, so I thought that when Owen and I were going to Boston for five days, we were both going to have our mobility devices. I was going to have TPN. We were going to have three suitcase we we brought way too much stuff like it had nothing to do with medical stuff we just brought way too much stuff 
But I was like, this is the perfect time to try this because we're going to need help. So I filled out the form and this was weeks in advance. Like it was not a last minute request. I filled out the form. I put, you know, what our needs were going to be, what we were traveling with. And what I got in response was text from the TSA website, copied and pasted into an email. And it said, depending on the staffing, you know, somebody will reach out to you to be your support specialist. Did anybody reach out to us to be our support specialist? No, not at all. It was literally the same exact experience we've had every other time that we've traveled. And we were literally on our own which is fine because we've done this one million times. But it made me really frustrated because for people who actually think that's going to be a support and that a person is going to show up, that's very, very discouraging um, about the services that are available because they're non-existent. They're and I was thinking, you know, oh, well, staffing, da, 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 da. but the thing is like those wheelchair pushers are still there. Like make that a, a full-time position and have those support people available to take the person through the airport. And it's, it's so like, it is such a case by case basis because I've seen people, you know, on those little carts driving through the airport and they are giddy as all hell to be driving that little cart through that airport with that family or that older person or whomever. And like people should be excited to support each other and, and be paid accordingly. Like that's what it comes down to. But like, I get not having the staff really, but you have six people to stand around and gawk at an IV bag. Why couldn't one of those people have been your support person? You know what I mean? Like it, at a certain point, like I get it. I, I really do. The state of the world is very challenging right now, but there are ways that things could be restructured and people are so unwilling to acknowledge that it's broken, that they're not willing to even begin to think about how to fix it you know, and that's with, that's with a lot of things. That's with public transport. That's with housing. That's with, that's with so many of our systems, but this is just a scaled down version of how things could be reorganized to make more sense. And that's just not where we're choosing to put our money and energy. And that's really, really frustrating because those same populations suffer. And I think it's also another example of the huge inequities that exist because we are paying the same amount for these plane tickets. And, you know, for example, when we board a plane, um, you know, we are typically the first ones on because Owen needs to be in the front row to transfer. But we will be the last ones off because everybody else gets up and shoves their way off and we have to wait for our mobility devices. So which may or may not be broken by the time you get there, depending on how people choose to fucking handle it. You know, people with disabilities miss their layovers, literally. And I I had a very interesting thought too the night I was sitting there at 10 p.m. at my gate in a wheelchair waiting for somebody to take me to baggage claim, regardless like and the bathroom at some point, if I was lucky. And what I realized is as I was sitting there, everybody else that got off the plane was also going to baggage claim. But I was sitting there waiting for somebody else. Like, what if what if one of those other people, members of the community, just 
pushed my wheelchair to a place they were already going. You know, like, what if there were some way to just be like, hey, we have a passenger who needs to go to baggage claim. Anybody have a free hand? You know, like leveraging those like natural supports. But instead, we've created this like travel culture of every man for himself. And I've never seen a more like wild, feral, chaotic environment than traveling after COVID. Like I have almost had suitcases dropped on my head because people are so frantic to get off the plane and get their bag out first. Like we're all going to get off the plane. We're all going to get on the plane. And it has become this just like disrespectful, chaotic, competitive mess. Yeah, it's just gotten it's just gotten worse too. Like I traveled when Nick and I went to see you. We stood up to like get off the plane and and kind of like just stretch too. And I looked at him and I was like, "You're not one of those people who like grabs your bag and just stands there like waiting for people to get off." And he's like, "No, like we're all going to get off eventually and it'll be fine. Like we can't go any faster than the person ahead of us." And like that's how I like that's my mindset when I travel like I get there when I get there I have no control you know what I mean like I I'm not gonna get there any faster if my my bag might not even be a baggage claim yet like it's so wild to me how people are so willing to just like crush people <laughs> it's crazy yeah so it's a lot um, but I, I feel like I want to get into some of these things people have told us and we talked a little bit about it, um, and suggested as options to sort of manage the challenges we face, um, while traveling, but you talked a little bit, Maisie, about getting our medical supplies delivered and our TPN, which we're very fortunate to have the ability to do. Um, but just because it's an option doesn't always mean that that's easy either. Um, and I know I have some wild stories that I'll share, but um, do you want to revisit what you've had to do to be able to study abroad for those few months that felt like you were there forever and any other experiences you've had trying to get your TPN while you travel? Yeah, I don't even really remember how we did it to study abroad. And honestly, I don't think mom or dad do either. Um I know one of the biggest things was that I had to change formulas. Like that was a big factor on whether or not I could even go because they couldn't ship my actual TPN because it has to stay refrigerated and it would be like, it physically would not stay cold long enough to get from the US to the UK, which is crazy. Um, so I switched to a more shelf stable formula, which thinking back, was I was sick the entire time. Um, and I lost like 10 pounds, which I had to spare at that point. So it was fine. Um, but I've heard that it doesn't work for a lot of people for that reason. So they had to, mom and dad had to somehow get my supplies delivered to them and then ship it separately to the person who was like in charge of the study abroad program. And again, this only worked because she was willing to have it delivered to her and then deliver it to my flat. Like she brought me my delivery. I don't think it was weekly. I think it might've been monthly or biweekly or something at that point. But had these people not been willing to help me, I, I couldn't have. 
And that's one thing that I think we we are still really lacking. And I think it's a lot of red tape and policy in terms of crossing borders and stuff like that um, with those prescriptions and fluids. And, and I'm not I'm not even totally sure what the um, technicalities are behind it, but international travel is still such a barrier. And that is, oh my God, as somebody who wants to travel more, that is so frustrating to me. Um, but even just being able to switch to a company that can ship domestically has been super helpful. Um, and when I was in a long distance relationship, I would have, you know, my bags shipped there and I've had bags shipped to places, um, in North Carolina and to you and to various hotels and stuff. But, you know, even at hotels, you have to make sure the room has a fridge. You have to make sure that it gets there the same time as you or that somebody is waiting for it. Or, you know, there's so, like you were saying, there's so much planning that goes into it. And I think to us, it's starting to, I mean, it, it at this point is essentially second nature in that it's just part of our routine when we travel, you know, making sure there's a fridge, aligning our deliveries with our arrival, like informing the hotel that it's coming, like checking all those boxes. Um, but even still, sometimes stuff falls through the cracks, but it's so much to think about. Like if we're going on a trip, you know, people will be like, oh, are you excited? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like I will. I always say I will be when I get there because there's so much that can go wrong between planning the trip and arriving at your destination. And I always say like my my proverbial plane is always on fire because if something can go wrong, I am almost certain it will. And one time um, Kyle and I were traveling and we literally had to deboard because our plane was on fire. And he, like, <laughs> I don't think anybody from that side of my life listens to this. Classic. But, yeah. Classic. And he like, couldn't, he couldn't cope. He like, didn't know how to handle it. And I was like, bestie, this shit always happens. Like, you have to know how to handle your plane being on fire. Like you find another one, you get an Uber, you call your fan, you reschedule, like you, you problem solve, you problem solve. And so much of our life is problem solving, but that makes it very hard to get excited about anything until all of those problems are, are solved. And I think that's also why I catastrophize just in my general life, but that's a different episode. Yeah. I feel like me and Owen's relationship is literally based on laughing through our problem solving. Like, it's funny because when we went to Boston, it was such, such a good trip. It was the best trip. I mean, granted, we've only taken two trips together that were, well, this was work-related, but it felt fun because we haven't traveled together in a long time. But all the things that could have been stressful were not and like it just everything went well and I just was like I don't know universe but I'm gonna take it because we needed that um so bad but yeah I I totally get it and you know think thinking about getting our our medical stuff delivered and and being able to laugh about things I I have some stories but um, I agree with you, Maisie. It's it's not always easy. And um, for me, a big part of why I travel with someone and have a support person is because usually that whole first or second day is devoted to 
tracking down medical supplies. So making sure I have a fridge, um, you know, when Owen comes, like, do we have a shower chair in our ADA room? Because usually even if, you know, the shower is accessible, can we reach the shower head? Is there a shower chair? And I have a lot of ideas about how to make travel experience better for people with disabilities. Um, and I'm really excited that I'm actually doing some of that as a consultant now, but everything else I'll just keep as my trade secrets uh, for you know the future. But what I will say is it's one thing to get your medical supplies delivered to the hotel, but it's a totally other thing to get it to your room. And, you know, people would like to think that since it's, you know, the hospitality industry, that people would be willing to help. And I do think COVID has had a huge impact on that industry, too, and the idea of customer service in general. Um, but it's always been a wild ride. And I do want to share one time we were at a hotel in D.C., and I had asked a few times if my TPN had been delivered. And they said they couldn't find it. They couldn't find it. But we could go look as the customers, the guests. And so this man walks me and Owen down to the package room in the basement. So we're like with this stranger. Um, and I do have to share just for a visual um, Owen to this day calls this man little CeeLo, like CeeLo from, from the OOs, like rap artist. Um, he was a little bit taller than me and he had these giant like aviator sunglasses like inside the hotel and he like didn't say anything. So he just like silently leads us into this basement package room. And honestly, in hindsight, I'm really glad Owen was with me because otherwise I would have been in this hotel basement package room with a strange man by myself. Um, but as soon as we get into the package room, Owen literally turns his head and goes, is that it? And we took the TPN box and carried it back to our room. Um, but somehow no one could find us, find it except for us. Um, so that was one experience. but. The other thing I want to share is about the multiple times that we've traveled to Vegas. And we went to Vegas um, for our honeymoon. We met in Vegas. Vegas was like our, our home base when we were long distance. And we had a lot of fun adventures. But what you should know about Vegas is that nothing is near each other. So if you are staying in a casino hotel, um, everything is, is – it's like a city – so we had to go to a full service UPS store that was in the casino to get this package, my TPN. And so we had probably wheeled, you know, and scooted like half a mile to get to pick up the package. And so I asked somebody if someone could bring the box to our room, since again, we are staying in the hotel and paying exorbitant amounts of money to stay in said hotel. And the response was, that it would be a fee of something crazy of like $50 or more to have them bring it to our room. So luckily, Owen is very skilled at carrying said TPN box distances. And so he was like, I'll just I'll just carry it. Um, so we said, fine, we'll just take it. Well, that in itself was a fee of $25. So we were paying to get our own 
mail and carry it back to a room. How can they charge you to have something delivered there? Like, right, right. And so here's the thing. So here's the thing. Before everyone asks me and says, you know, well, you get that fee waived, you know, because it's medical supplies. We've done that dance. It's in Vegas, Vegas, baby. It's right, Vegas. right. And it takes all day to fight for something like that. And I'm on my honeymoon, you know, like at the end of the day, fighting over a fee for $25, like, you know, and, and it's also the, the disabled tax, like you pay more when you have a disability. You pay more when you need assistance. That is the hospitality industry. People will bring you things. People will help you with things. And they're going to expect you to hand over some money in exchange. So if you're traveling and you have a disability, that is something that you need to understand and you need to be made aware of because it costs money to need assistance, period. Which is so, it's so messed up. And so, like, I just, I think we're having, like, I know in our, I'm looking at our notes and like, I know we talk a little bit about like the the resources again, quote unquote, that have been made available to us. And I think we're having the wrong conversations. Like, I think we are, the, we are being asked to bear the burden along with the burden that we already bear, you know what I mean? Of, you know, the challenges of living with a disability, the challenges of traveling with medical supplies, like we are doing all of these things. It almost feels like victim blaming. Like, I know that that's kind of a big term to to throw around, but really like we are being asked to do the work of so many other people simply to exist. And it's like, you know, like what you said about the airport, like they're putting so much money into renovating when they're not looking at how they could improve what is is already there and like it's just we're being asked to sacrifice like I'm I'm gonna let you tell your your next story but I I just like we're having the wrong conversations is what it comes down to right and and we're being asked as a solution, you know, we're being told to modify our lives and our our choices instead of addressing the bigger systematic issues. And, um, you know, the, the story that I want to share is I actually, you know, once again, I I don't believe that most things are helpful because I've been doing this for almost 40 years and most things are not helpful. What has been helpful to us is paving our own way and learning from others. But after I had this experience, I decided to call into a call where a company that we know um, was having this, this conference call and the topic was travel. And I was like, oh, great. You know, I know a lot about travel, but maybe I can learn something. Let me try. And so I called into this call and I don't even remember, honestly, what was being shared because I obviously didn't find it very helpful. And I I shared this story and I was like, so, you know, this is what happened. You know, I was being asked to to pay all this money to get my medical supplies. And it was, you know, how can we advocate to get these policies changed, you know, within these hotels? And what can we do as advocates? 
And what I was told was that I, the guest, should stay in a different hotel. I should stay in a small hotel, like a holiday inn. This was my honeymoon in Vegas. You think I'm staying at a Holiday Inn? I'm not. I'm not. But also, why is it, why is the solution for me to change my travel destination to something that would make it easier for them versus holding a multi-billion dollar corporation like Caesars accountable to treating their disabled guests like everybody else? I'm not altering my travel plans, bitch. I'm paying to stay right. at a Caesars property. Get me my medical supplies. Our money is just as green as everyone else's. Like it is so foolish. And I like it comes back to accountability. And that's why I'm personally so excited for the work that you're starting to do in consulting with hotels and the hospitality industry because of things like this. Again, like I want to assume the best of people. I really do. Like when we have conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think we forget about accessibility and inclusion in regards to ability, you know, like, and I think that's like, I think we need to start thinking about those things as organizations, as corporations, like we need to, we need to start holding these big names accountable because think about like, and it comes down to like, systematically too like if these things are not accessible people who do have money I mean there are people with disabilities who also have money to spend are not going to spend their money there so treat them like consumers treat them like people it's not it's not a a mind-blowing concept yeah and I will say I'm I'm starting to connect with some folks who are doing more in the for-profit advocacy sector, um, because we're also going to see, and I think I've said this before, is with COVID, more people are going to be disabled, more people are going to have chronic illnesses, and they're going to want to keep the lifestyle that they had before their disability. It's not an, an oddity, but we also have to continue to change the narrative that people with disabilities and chronic illnesses aren't out in the world. We are traveling. We are living our lives. We are doing recreational things. You know, there's still this this mindset that disabled people just sit home being disabled. And while that may be some people's reality, it's it's not the norm. It's not the societal norm that people with disabilities are not going places. We are going places. We're making money. We're spending money. And, you know, there's still this belief that we are not consumers. Um, so that's, you know, a big underlying perception that that we, in, in 2022, we still are having to say our money is as green as anybody else's. Yeah. And I, one of our friends actually posted something recently that she's learning about um, in reference to universal design. And really what that comes down to is the concept that we are all going to age, like that is inevitable. And with age comes a lack of ability at times. And so there, and and I've had this conversation with a couple of other people too, my coworker included, and nobody, 
suffers from increased accessibility. If there is a ramp instead of stairs, the people who would have taken the stairs can still take the ramp. Like that, that is, those are very, very simple changes. Like having captions on things, like having braille menus, having large print menus, like those are all very small things that places can do. And they're like, oh, well, there's a cost. Yeah, eat it. Like, stop. (laughs) You know, it's just like we need to stop making excuses and start recognizing how we can be more accessible for everyone because we are all going to benefit from it at some point. And to think we're not is blatantly ignorant. I just thought that was a really cool concept that really relates to everything that we're talking about. Yeah. And it's so interesting because on my first site visit with this contract I have, they asked, so we looked at like the ballroom and the meeting rooms in the hotel. And then they were like, is there anything else that you want to see while you're here? And I was like, you know, I would like to see the bar because I wasn't feeling well last night and I wasn't able to go and have a glass of wine like I planned. Um, But I would like to see the bar area because I know that in my experience, a lot of networking at conferences happens in the bar area. Whether you drink or not, that's where people are going to congregate. So they were like, totally sure. So sure enough, as I suspected, there were no low tables in the entire bar area. There were only high tops and booths that were also high. And I said, huh, you notice there are no low tables in this bar area. And I think permanently you should switch out some high tops for low tables because, you know, high top, people don't like high tops for a lot of reasons. It could be mobility. It could be, you know, just different body types that don't like high tops or booths, or you should include a variety of seating. And that was like one of the few things, you know, like they went, oh, we didn't even think of that. But this literal restaurant was designed with no low tables. And I've actually gotten low tables added to um, some of our local restaurants in our community because there were pl- they were places that we wanted to go and eat inside and we weren't able to. And so they had never even thought of that. And then after I said something, they got low tables and we were able to like dine in our community. But those are things that, again, I said to these these hotel staff, what, like, who is going to sit at a table and say, I wish this table were higher? Nobody. No one's going to say that. But there are people who would have a very hard time getting to a high top or or networking with their peers, and they would say, I wish there were low tables in this bar. I mean, networking aside, I don't know if you've had a few drinks at a high top, but that's a liability. (laughs) I also literally said that. Um, I said it's actually not safe for certain people to be trying to sit at these tables. So like there are just so many things that are like, why is that? Who even invented that? Like 
who sat at a table and was like, I wish I was on a very high chair that is hard to get in and out of. That would make my dining experience much better. Like, uh, I just don't get it. I think that that's a, a baby. A baby enjoys a high chair that is hard to get out. <laughs> literally, literally. It's it's so strange. I um, have, I kind of have a question because I think it's really important that we all continue to see the world through a lens of accessibility and and make those things known when we think of them um because I think you know me having traveled with you and oh like I know there are like I look at something and I'm like well we can't come here like we can't get in um like Nashville Nashville was a nightmare um but and and I think it's important to to kind of start to see the world through a lens of how can we make this more accessible for everyone and to not be afraid to say that because I think it takes the people with the privilege to say something to bring it to the attention of the people who have the power to change it and I think that's with anything um but you mentioned earlier like talking about the power of community and you know being in a wheelchair and watching all these people go to baggage claim personally I don't know that I would feel comfortable even approaching somebody in a wheelchair because I wouldn't want them to assume that I thought they needed my help so what is and I'm only saying this because I want our listeners to know too what is a way to like approach that like if you see somebody who you think could benefit from a hand I mean disability or not like how would you approach that in a way that isn't infantilizing or condescending, but is genuinely like, hey, can I help you? Yeah, that's a really good question. So in in that circumstance, I I was thinking even some like an actual like program that would that would somehow be administered by the airline that would somehow offer I don't want to say like incentivize but like designate people on the plane Mm -hmm. who were going in the same direction who could be like a stand-in wheelchair pusher you know that that was like there was a structure that you could like sign up for or you know like be but to your question I think it's it's just it can be so casual. Like I'm, I'm thinking about our trip to Boston and for some reason that day, like everybody had their nice pants on. I don't know. Um, but like, I was like waiting in line for, um, you know, my bagel at like Einstein brothers and like, um, you know, people were at like the condiment station and I sort of like looked over cause like I was looking for napkins and, um, the woman that was there said to me like, Oh, do you like, can I grab you anything? And I was like, yeah, like some napkins would be great. Um, and you know, it was just sort of like the way that you would ask anybody like, Hey, do you need me to pass you that? Or, um, you know, I, I think, I think again, it's, it's almost like that, you know, like you would ask anybody. Um, and I'm trying to think of like other examples, like, you know, when you're in the grocery store and like somebody is, you know, I'm like looking up at something and somebody is next to me and they go, do you need anything? And I'm like, actually I could, I, could you pass me the blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it's and it's not assuming like you know to come up and and push somebody's wheelchair yeah. or like when i used to um be crossing the street in Boston and my scooter would die, I would have total strangers just come up and start yanking on it. That was not helpful. Um, but but coming at things of like, a, how how can I assist you, you know, or um, do you need help with that? And, and the worst someone can say is no. But I think yeah. the assumption or or helping in a way that isn't helpful um, I, th I think about, you know, I had a really, really chaotic travel day, um, one day and there was a mom getting on the plane with her kids who I think the son had a disability and it was evident he had a disability and she sort of locked eyes with me and I sort of locked eyes with her and she sort of was like my unspoken ally. Like I'm sort of like getting goosebumps thinking about it, but like, when we were like, you know, boarding the plane, like she helped me with my TPN backpack. Like she saw me, she saw my backpack, she saw the overhead compartment and knew that like, that was not gonna, that was not gonna happen. Um, And that especially, and then like she said, if you need anything, like, let me know. Like we sort of just had that unspoken connection. Yeah. But for me, especially the overhead compartment thing is so frustrating because it's like, it, I have to put my bag up. I can't do it. And the amount of people that will, that never offer to like help. But then there are people who do, who are like, you know, they know I need to get my bag down. They need to get their bag down. We all want to get off the plane. And so just being like, Hey, do you have a bag up there? Like, you know, those kind of like organic things that like, you just know need to happen. Yeah. Um, I think for me is just, you know, when people come out of the woodwork in ways that it's like, I am getting my, my bag. Would you also like your bag? And I think like, there's been such a huge societal shift where people are just like, and I, I definitely don't think COVID helped, but I think there are a lot of factors that have contributed to this in recent years. But I think we've turned into a very much like mind your business society and a very individualistic society in a way that is not healthy and is not normal. And I guess my only hope in having this conversation is that when people are traveling or even just going about their daily life, they can not be afraid to have that brief interaction because the worst that they can say is no. You know what I mean? Like, if you are genuinely coming from a, a place of, of good intentions and ask somebody to help and they don't need your help, they'll say no. And, and they may not be kind about it because there may have been previous experiences where people were not kind to them. But I think just being willing to offer that hand if it looks like it's needed and just sort of be there for each other, like, I think that's a really solid first step. And like, if we all start to go into the world with more of that, it will have a pretty significant impact. You know, it's just, it's so frustrating because it's like, we can only do so much, but if everybody has that mindset, then like nothing is going to get done, you know? So I, I appreciate your answer. And I, I think also, you know, there's the individual level of helping people individually, but there's also the systematic level and the advocacy level where I think is where people really really need to come together because 
disabled people are not the only people that can advocate for access and inclusion. And I think about the example of, um, you know, the the wheelchair issue. And twice in one trip, I saw people either almost miss their flight or flights be delayed because people were waiting on wheelchairs. And so the gate agent and everybody was aware that that was the issue. And people were like getting upset about how not okay that is. And so the gate agent was telling passengers, fill out your survey. We use a contracted company and this is a really big issue. So he was telling everybody to raise the concern about this because it's not up to only the people who use the service. It's up to the people who are being delayed, who are seeing their grandmother get walked up the gateway because there's no wheelchair waiting for her and people are going to miss their flight. So it's a much bigger issue than just the disabled people and the people who access that service speaking up. Everybody needs to speak up. And that's about everything. If you go to a restaurant and you see there's no low seating or, um, you know, there's a bunch of plates stacked on the ADA part of the bar where people in wheelchairs sit, it's okay to say something and say, hey, I noticed that, you know, this is missing or I noticed that, you know, and, and the person you address it to may not be able to make the change. But, you know, you may be able to say, is there a way for me to like, raise this as a concern, you know, an email or a, you know, because it's not just up to the people who who need that. Like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we we really sort of pick and choose the things that we're able to write letters about and things like that. But if you see something, even if you're not the person that sits at the low part of the bar or uses, you know, the low tables, it's okay to still acknowledge that that's something that's missing. And I just want to like, I don't really know who our audience is at this point, but if you have any connections to, I'm put, I'm just putting a plug out for you, Mel, because if you have any connections to a hospitality industry or were a TSA agent, or I don't know if you have to sign like an NDA or something after that, (laughs) but like, or if you, you know, work in the restaurant industry and want to know how can I improve this experience for the customers or the passengers or whomever, like those resources exist, like reach out to Mal because she is one of them. But also like a simple Google will be like, how can I make my place more accessible? Like put in the two seconds of work that it takes because like, and, and again, like Mel said, like you might not be, you know, you might be talking to the bartender and they're like, I don't give a shit about the plates. But if you're like, look, I know you're not I, I know you've got a million things to do, but I, this is something I wanted to address. Like, is there someone I could like send an email to or something? Like they're, they're probably more willing to like give you a name than like sit and listen to you complain. But, you know, I think it's just about finding the right person and, and just saying like, you know, if you know somebody who would benefit from this information, like I know Mel would be willing to have that conversation and, and offer her services in terms of improving that experience to bring in more income. Like it is a profitable thing to improve accessibility. Not that complicated anyway. And one other other quick story I was just thinking about, like, you know, getting in touch with the right person. Um, When we first were going to go to drag brunch um, after COVID, it 
it was a new venue, a new bar that we had never been to. And so I didn't know, I didn't want to like buy these tickets and not know if we were going to be able to like be seated or be comfortable. And, and when you don't, when you don't plan proactively, it's, it's, it's such a catch 22 because you want to move through the world thinking like, well, I'm going to get there and they're just going to have to accommodate me. But what that does is if it's not set up in a way that works for you, it makes you have a bad experience. It makes the the venue uncomfortable and nobody has a good time. So as much as you want to like think that's going to be the case, it's always better to just like check. And I did this through Instagram. Like I just found the bar on Instagram and I sent them a message and said, hey, we really want to come to this show. I'm not sure what your physical setup is. Um, here are our needs. We're hoping to come to this show. Let me know if we're all set. And they wrote back and said, great to know. We'll take care of it. And we showed up and we had a low table with a reserved sign and we were taken care of, we were out of the way, we were able to enjoy the show. And we did. And we gave them our money and we tipped really well. And it was a very small thing that they did that had a really big impact because we had been a part of that community for many years. And we want to continue to support our local artists. And it just it made a really good first impression and like I would totally go back to that bar and yeah that's exactly it's just an example you know of how easy it can be and what a difference it can make yeah and like you said like you'll go back you know what I mean like it comes back to like you are paying customers like it's so silly when when places are like well that costs money like no it doesn't it's literally just organizing the tables in a certain way that makes it so people can get around like it's we don't have to complicate things. So all of that yeah. is a lot, but I think it's, I think we're starting to have the right conversations. And I think you and I just speaking like personally are in really cool places in our lives where we can kind of start to bring these conversations to people who can do something about them. Um, and also amplify the voices of the people that we have heard screaming into the abyss throughout our time in this community, you know? Um, and did you want to, I know you put out like a and a on our social media. Um, did you want to jump to that real quick, just as we are wrapping up and hopping off of our soapbox? <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, this is a topic that I'm so passionate about. Like, I know there are probably things that we forgot or other things that we can talk about. Um, but, you know, maybe we'll do do more on this topic as we think of things and as we travel more and learn more and see more. Um, but I did put out a, a little Q&A box on our Instagram and we got one question um, that I want to address. And I thought it was a really good one. And it was about thinking about the impact of travel. And for us, when we travel, how does it impact us and our health? Um, do we, does it impact our pain or our fatigue? Or um, do we end up needing, you know, more fluid? Or are there ways that we sort of, you know, triage those impacts? So I don't know if you want to speak to any of that, Maisie. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so the first thing that comes to mind is when I studied abroad, we would travel on the weekend. So we went to like a few different countries, which is such a bougie thing to say. And I completely acknowledge that. Um, but it was funny because my friends would make fun of me because anytime we went anywhere, the first thing I would have to do is take a nap. It didn't matter if we flew, if we took a train, if we Ubered, like if we were staying somewhere for more than like a night, I needed to nap. And then once I napped, I was good to go. And I feel like that's still kind of. You always do that. Literally every time you, like when you get here, you immediately take a nap. Yeah. That's my game plan because then I can be fresh, you know, traveling, like traveling, I think for a lot of people is exhausting. You just sort of have to be on and alert and, you know, be that advocate and, and just kind of keep an eye on things. And that for me is very tiring. So I think in that way, that is one way that I've learned to adapt is just build in that time for rest and not trying to do everything all at once Um, because then you can't really enjoy it because you're just go, 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 go. And your body is like trying to keep up. Um, The other note that I made was that it kind of depends on where I'm going. Um, So we went to Minneapolis recently to present and I think I skipped two nights. Um, but if I go to Denver where the altitude is a beast, I don't skip any nights and I usually am fine with five nights of infusion. Um, so I think gauging in that way, um, is helpful, but I think also just like having those plans in place and having those support people, um, is really helpful. Like, it's funny because Nick and I have traveled recently and like, he is like my good luck charm. Like I am such an anxious person. And so like ever, like I'm busy thinking about all of the possible ways that everything can go wrong. And he's like making small talk with people at baggage claim and like everything is such a seamless process with him. And so I think like knowing who those people are that can help make those things easier um, is really helpful. And it's not always possible that you guys can go places together or that you even have that person. Um, but I think knowing, knowing what your needs are is a good start. And, um, again, building that time for rest into your schedule, wherever you're going, um, and bringing more fluid if you need it to, um, or having, having it sent there, depending on your company. Yeah. I think for me, there's a lot of, a lot of variables. Um, I also have gotten, really into sort of figuring out what my my must-haves are um, when I travel. And that could be um, when when I book my travel, a lot of times um, there's sort of this ableist mindset in business travel. Like, for example, when I was going to um, travel to do this consulting, you know, they were like, oh, and you can spend the night if you feel like you need to. And I was flying from Denver to Atlanta and I was like, yes, yes, I'm going to need to. And what was great about that was that I was able to fly in, get a good night's sleep. And then my meeting wasn't until the next afternoon. So I had most of the day, but I've learned to really advocate and make sure that I'm not flying in hours before I need to be somewhere because if anything does go wrong, I'm going to miss the one thing I need to be at, or I may not feel well, or I may need a nap, or I may need some fluid. Um, And so factoring in that time, but also during your travel day, you know, I've, I've had to be really 
a lot better about like buying a bottle of water and making sure I drink water on the plane and eating something. It's really easy to go a whole travel day without food and water. <laughs> it's way easier than you would think. Um, taking bathroom breaks when you need to, um, that has made a huge difference in just identifying what my body needs during a travel day. Um, and knowing like, for Owen and I, you know, Owen can't get up and use the bathroom on a plane. So it's really important for us to like, have a layover that is long enough to like take a bio break and not just race from point A to point B. Um, so there are a lot of things that go into it. And for me, I do, I think, and especially as I get older, experience more of like the physical repercussions of traveling, just my body, especially after COVID of three years of like not really going anywhere, my body being like, wow, like what was that? And so if I can, I try to, you know, take a day off when I get back, you know, have a day after or just like a really low key like work day where I can sort of like rest if I need it and and just really know um what your your body needs and um we wanted to mention one more thing really quickly um you know I think we could talk even more about the planning and preparation piece of what goes into our our travel process um but Maisie created a really cool um tool that we use to get ready for trips we are definitely like the the list and spreadsheet, you know, aficionados. So Maisie, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm just so proud of my little spreadsheet. And it's very like, if you have any basic knowledge of Excel, it's super simple, but I made like a self-populating spreadsheet. So I like, even if I don't necessarily use the like number of days that I put in, um, it just helps me, like I already have most of what I need listed, including like, makeup, toiletries, different pairs of shoes, as well as medical supplies, because like I know that I need, you know, two flushes of saline for every night that I'm there. And so rather than have to do the math, I have a spreadsheet that um, will sort of self-populate. So I just kind of wanted to like throw that out there. Like I'm happy to share that as a resource um, or help you to make your own. Um, I think sometime in the future, we would love to have it be like downloadable and you can just sort of make your own version um, if that's something that is is helpful to you. Um, so that is definitely in the works, but I'm happy to share that um, sort of framework, the uh, nuts and bolts of it. Um, if anybody else is a very type A sort of, you know, plan it all out before you even go. Um, that definitely has relieved a lot of my stress just because I don't have to start from square one. Um, every single trip I take, I pull it up and I'm like, oh yeah, my straightener, I was going to bring that. Oh yeah, like pair of underwear, <laughs> like bathing suit, whatever. Um, so you can, you know, it's, I can definitely give you like the, um, the bones of it and you can kind of fill in the blanks if that's something that would be helpful. So I know it's helped me. And if there's anything, you know, you can sort of take off of your plate, then by all means do it, you know, have it auto-populate. I love that. I feel like we could do, you know, another whole episode about like planning and packing and like, uh, like travel every step of the way I have gotten in such a routine like I've been traveling so much I know exactly what I pack where when I have to 
pack certain things, what time I have to leave, where I go to like, it's all so like just science now. Um, but it, it takes, it takes time. And there's such a difference between, I feel like conference travel and like recreational travel. When I go somewhere fun, I'm like, what do I bring? How do I fun? But yeah, I love talking about travel. I could talk about it all day. So, but we have, I was thinking, I know it's been a minute, but, um, I was thinking also like maybe as we're both getting ready for trips, we could do like a, you know, not, not necessarily a day in the life, but like a pack with Maze and Mm. (laughs) or something. I don't know. Let, let us know if that would be interesting or if we just like hearing our own voices because whatever. (laughs) I definitely did like an Insta story one time of like packing my packing cubes. Yeah. Because it was like, I have, they're like designated for different things, but yeah, there's there's so much we could do. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was a lot. (laughs) Um, I don't even remember what I say at the end of these. Um, Follow us. (laughs) Follow Follow us us on on the things. On all of the things. Um, Mallory's at Curb Cuts and Cocktails. I am at the underscore Mazinator. And we are with Maze and Mal. Um, Please do let us know if you have any more topics of interest for us. Um, Stay tuned. We have a lot of adventures coming up. um, A lot of changes in our lives and we'll be spending Christmas together. I don't know when I'll get to posting this, but um we will be spending the holidays together. So that is very exciting. Yay. Um I don't wait. Me neither. So let us know if you have any questions. Follow us on all the things. And thank you so much for tuning in. We will talk to you next time. Bye.